scripture reading today comes from Matthew chapter 28. And so if you have your Bible with you, could you turn please to Matthew chapter 28 as we read verses 1 through 10. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Now I have told you. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said, and they came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading from his holy word. Those of you who know me are aware that I have a carefully crafted, finely tuned sense of humor. And the reason some people are laughing choir is that I may be the only person in the building who believes that. But nonetheless, I'm fairly convinced of it. You as a congregation on days leading up to Easter, send me all of your worst Easter jokes. And having lived with them for the last few days, I'm now inflicting them back upon you. And for those of you who are unaware, there is a classification of jokes entirely for dads, and it's called Dad Jokes. And here is some of the jokes dads have been sending me this week, but I need to give you a heads up, they're pretty bad just as you would expect from dads, because dads' jokes are classified in terms of groans, and these have several groans going for them. Here is the first one. What do you call a rabbit with fleas? Answer, Bugs Bunny. <laughs> See, a little bit of a groan. Number two, what is a bunny's favorite restaurant? Answer, IHOP. Well, what else would it be? And then I have two classics, which I usually slip in at Easter. In the sure and certain knowledge, I am entirely confident you will have forgotten them since the last time I told you. So here they come. And the first is this. How do you capture a unique rabbit? Answer, unique up on him. <laughs> of course it is. Okay, someone's just catching up, and that's fine. Let's keep going. Let me try another here. Next, how do you capture a tame rabbit. The tame way you need up on him. <laughs> See, they're pretty good. That's why they're classics. Now, dads, granddads, please feel absolutely free 
to use these with your children and grandchildren at lunch today or dinner or later this week. But my only advice is don't start with the punchline and then reverse into the joke. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. And my other question is this, and you're of course already asking, is Richard, why on earth on Easter Sunday are you starting with three or four bad jokes? Well, my reason is this. That for the first time today, many of us will be able to get together with our children and our grandchildren, or perhaps our parents and our grandparents for the first time in the last 12 months due to the COVID quarantine. And we have missed those meals together. We've missed those times with family and friends and those we love. We have missed them in a pretty deep way. Now, this past year, as we heard from Shelton in his prayer and we've heard throughout the service, has been a tough year for many of us. The ripple effects of the COVID pandemic has been absolutely devastating. It's just been awful across the entire world. And so today, as we meet and have lunch together and meals together, have laughter and fun and do silly dad jokes and enjoy the day. Way back on that first Easter Sunday, no one was planning for lunch or dinner or having family around. It was not a day that folks closest to Jesus was looking forward to. It wasn't a day filled with laughter when the sun came up for the first time on that Easter Sunday morning. In fact, if anything, it was the opposite. Since Friday, those closest to him have been wrestling with anger, confusion, hurt, uncertainty. They were bewildered, grieving deeply, and wondering what on earth is going on. And as Friday moved into Saturday, and they had all day Saturday, I think the disciples moved to another level of questioning entirely. And as they began to get their mind around the the numbness and the sadness that comes with violent death, they would eventually begin to ask, if God truly loved us, and if he truly was the heavenly father that Jesus talked about so often, why on earth would he allow his life to finish at a cross? What is going on here? What is happening? And as Saturday moved to Sunday, I suspect there wasn't much sleep taking place with the disciples. And the grief and the confusion and the uncertainty only accelerated. But on Easter Sunday morning, all of that was about to change. And so the ladies with their questions, mind-numbing grief, head towards the tomb. Still reeling, still wrestling with shock and bereavement emotionally wounded, overcome with sadness, and they go to the tomb, and there's a violent earthquake. Can you imagine those ladies with arms of spices going to the tomb, and suddenly there's a tremor, and the earth begins to move? 
And they look at each other, uncertain, is this going to get any worse? What's happening here? Will it settle back down? And so they continue, and when they get there, here is an angel sitting on a rock. The boulder has been removed from the entrance. It's pretty clear that the guards are in shock. They can't articulate what's happened. And the angel says, do not be afraid. Why those words? Why seek to bring reassurance? Because I suspect instinctively the angel sensed what they were going through. And I suspect at first glance, the grief, the uncertainty, the confusion, when they got to the tomb, got worse, not better. And it was an unsettling experience. And the ladies asked, I imagine in the back of their mind, what every subsequent, subsequent generation has asked. What actually happened here? What really took place? And like anyone in the midst of questions, seeking to work out how does faith apply to everyday life, they were hungry for answers and certainty. They wanted to know what had taken place. And so here is the angel saying, do not be afraid. Now hold that thought, and we'll come back to it before we finish this morning. And the question that has been asked since that point is not simply, why did it end at a cross? But there's a much deeper a much more profound, a greater question than it first seems. And the question is this. If God truly is omnipotent, all power, sovereign, invincible, why doesn't he simply lavish his love and forgiveness on every individual who has ever been born and forgive them of their sin. And that way, there's no need for a cross. The cross can be bypassed. It can be circumnavigated. Why on earth would Jesus go through this when God can quite simply bypass it? Why doesn't he offer forgiveness and move on? Now please bear in mind what happened at Calvary. Grasp, if you can, exactly what was taking place. Because Jesus dies for the sins of humanity. And please hear this. Sin is not simply a social faux pas. It's not simply a mistake where we say, Oh, sorry, didn't mean that. Forgive me. Sin is much greater than that. Sin is so potent, so insidious, so utterly debilitating, it impacts and influences and destroys everyone and everything it comes into contact with. That's how bad it is. It often begins by appealing to us. 
It's no big deal. Everyone sins. You're silly to believe that. These days, 21st century, and you still believe that? Forget about it. It is enticing. It is attractive. It is appealing. But once you find yourself moving towards sin, you will ultimately discover, maybe not in those early days, but ultimately you will discover its toxicity, its tranquilizing, addicting, enslaving effect on the heart and mind and soul of humanity. And it begins with selfishness and it ends up with ethnic cleansing in Central Africa and a holocaust in Europe. That's how powerful sin actually is. We know it to be true in our own lives. We see its impact on families. We see it in domestic violence. When relationships have ruptured, turned sour and end in the extremities of personal violence. Families fall apart. We see it in alcohol and drug addiction. When those whom we love find themselves a shadow of who they used to be. Blaming everyone and everything else other than taking responsibility for it themselves. That's what sin does. We see it in human trafficking here in our own state, neighboring states. That's how bad sin is. And before the foundation of the world, God in his invincible love and grace in creating humanity, longing that they might come to know Him and love Him, understood the role that sin would play. And in His eternal purposes and decrees, the cross played a central part. And He knew that it should never be circumnavigated. He knew it should never be bypassed. Because he knew that sin deserves justice. And with justice comes punishment. And we sang it moments ago in the power of the cross. That the wrath of God was poured out on Christ. It's not that he was simply blamed for our sins. It was not that he became guilty of our sins. Although that is true. It's not that he simply took our sins on himself, but the scripture is crystal clear. He became sin for us. He became the very manifestation of the sordid horror of sin itself. And when he hung there and cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His father had stepped away in order that his son could feel the eternal judgment and wrath and righteousness of God against sin and its power. And when you're tempted to think that the cross is no big deal and that sin doesn't matter, remember that Christ gave his life for us. And it holds a central position 
in the eternal purposes of God and it lies at the heart of the reality of the gospel. Because with the cross comes forgiveness and renewal and transformation and drawn into a relationship with him. That's why it cannot be circumnavigated, ignored, gone round. And on this Easter Sunday morning, we celebrate all that took place because at the cross, the power of sin, its addictive enslaving quality was broken forever. And if you are here this morning and saying, Richard, I am absolutely ashamed of who I've been in the past, the things I've said, the places I've been, the behavior that I have focused on, and I need His regenerating power in my life. I need that forgiveness. I need Him to break the power of sin in my life. That's why we celebrate Good Friday. That's why it's good. And we rejoice in Easter Sunday because He draws us into a supernatural relationship with Him and provides a new heart, a new mind, a new soul. That's why it's so important. Now, you may be here this morning and saying, okay, Richard, I think I'm with you. I think I'm following it. But, Richard, quite honestly for me, the resurrection is little more than a, it's a metaphor. It's symbolism. It's a parable. It's a story about light after darkness. It's victory after defeat. Surely that's all that it is, that the Spirit of Christ lives on in his teaching. Well, let me suggest this and push back a little. Let's not mock God with metaphor to suit their own theory and their own convenience and miss out on the reality of what took place. Let's not seek to replace the supernatural with parable, but to remember he died a real death at a real place. And on Sunday morning, he rose again from the dead. Because it's worth remembering this, that on Easter Sunday evening, when Jesus meets with the disciples, it's not a metaphor who says to Thomas, put your finger in my hands. Put your hand in the wound in my side. It's not a parable that speaks to the disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke's Gospel. It's not symbolism that the two ladies on the way back from the tomb, when they meet Jesus, and he says greetings, and they instinctively, naturally, fall at his feet and wrap their arms around him, and notice what the passage says, and they worshipped him. And they worshipped him. Because they understood what subsequent generations became to un we came to understand, and it was this. They understood the one who loves us so much makes Calvary possible is also the one who understands the consequence of our sins and determines that Calvary is necessary. That's what's going on. And in that moment of revelation, 
they also discovered this. That he who once was dead is now alive. Once was dead and is now alive. And in that moment, here, two of these ladies recognizing and realizing that all of the heart and the pain and the horror of the last few days has now melted away. And they understand that God, in all of his regenerative, creative, omnipotent power, brought Christ back from the dead in order that we might come to know him, be exposed to his love, overwhelmed by his grace, and walk with him all our days. That's what's going on. That's why we celebrate. And you may be here this morning and saying, Richard, I needed that. The last 12 months, I've lost a job. The economy was so bad at times it impacted my small business. I'm not sure if we can keep going. Others worried and concerned about our children and their education. Still fretting over health. And you need to begin again. And you need to take all of the worries and the fears and the grief and the uncertainty and bring it this Easter Sunday morning and lay your concerns at his feet and trust the risen Christ, not only for this day, but for the rest of your life. And this afternoon, as you create memories with family and friends and enjoy a meal together and laugh and have fun, remember why we celebrate. And we give thanks for this Easter day. There's one more word I want to wrap up with this morning. And it's a word we're going to highlight in our closing hymn. It's a word that summarizes perfectly the significance and the value of Easter Sunday. That word will become crystal clear. It's a word we hold dear. It's a word we rejoice in. It's a word we give thanks for. And let's make sure we do that this Easter. Let's pray together. And now may we enter into your presence, Father, being exposed once again to your love and your grace. And we ask that on this Easter Sunday we would indeed rejoice because of your love, thankful because of the resurrection and ask that as we seek to enjoy this holiday we would also realize the enormity of your love and your forgiveness and all that Christ accomplished for us at Calvary and let us be able to say he is not here he has risen in Jesus name we pray amen